Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Consider the lilies. Well, those are not just words. Those are words of Jesus. You look in your Bible, you'll find those words in those red colored letters. That means according to the gospel writers who were there, Jesus said them. Jesus said them in a section of scripture that is recorded between Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 8, which you Bible scholars in the house will know to be the sermon on the mount. Which means that the best preacher to ever walk on this earth in his most famous sermon to ever be recorded said, consider the lilies. Don't just sing the song and don't just hear the words. Remember where they came from. Amen. Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew Chapter 6, as you make your way there, I, I want to say that we will be taking a, a one-week uh, break, as far as I know, a one-week break, uh, on our series on serving, because quite frankly, uh, all week long I felt in my spirit that God had something different for us than, than I had originally planned, um, and if I've learned anything in my life, it's that... Um, God's plans supersede my own, generally speaking. Um, actually, always, not even generally speaking. Uh, oftentimes, they, they get together if I pray long enough first. But I've discovered that I would rather be a little bit uh, off of my own schedule with God than on my own schedule without Him. Amen? So I try my best not to have knee-jerk reactions from the pulpit and then necessarily just kind of follow, let the world around influence what we're doing too much. But uh, in this instant, I felt like I was being compelled to head in this direction. I want to be very clear uh, with what I say this morning. I don't want you to hear what I don't say. I don't want you to go out of here saying I said something that I didn't say or, or anything like that. I, I am in no way attempting to or, or insinuating that we're making light uh, of the situation that is going on in the world with this, this viral infection that is taking the world by storm. It is, it is very serious. It is very real. In fact, it is very, really serious, okay? Uh, I'm not making light of it in any way. Uh, I even happen to believe that many of the drastic measures that are taking place are necessary and are good decisions, even if they inconvenience us, even if I don't like them, I think they come from a place of good intentions. I believe that churches across this town, across this nation, across this even Southern Baptist Convention, the North American Mission Board, whatever you want to call it now, um, I believe the decisions that are being made are in the best interest of the body of believers to the best of the information they have. People are trying their best to do the right thing, and nobody knows exactly what that looks like, and so we have to just make these decisions the best we can. Uh, that being said, just so we know, and I felt like this was the best place for me to, to get it and get the information out there to the most people until there comes some more compelling reason for us to do so, 
we will continue to have our services. Um, I'm not saying that the people that have decided not to are wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that our decision will never change, but as the leadership of your church, we want to encourage you if you're at high risk, if you're in that category, if you're concerned about it, even if you just don't feel comfortable, I want to encourage you to stay home. We have, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I'm not just saying this because I love them all, I'm not just saying this because my son is part of this team, I'm saying this because I mean it from the bottom of my heart, we have the best media team I would put them against anybody in the country at any size church, and I mean that. Amen. I've had pastors who have, who have preached in churches all across the southeast, all across the United States, who have called me, who have emailed me and said, how do you get these guys to do what they do, okay? You are blessed at Rocky Valley. By that, this is what I mean. If you need to stay home, okay, we have a team of people who will help you watch the service at home, okay? So if you need to stay home, don't feel bad about that. But if you want to come to church, we want it to be open for you to come and praise the Lord, okay? So we're going to come and worship as, as far as that's concerned. I'm not saying that that's not a moving target. I'm saying that is the current plan for Rocky Valley is we're going to have service. If you need to stay home, you need a method to watch it at home, we will help you do that. We'll do some things differently. We might not pass the plate. We might not do all the handshakes. We might not do all of that. I'll tell you this also. I'm a hugger and a handshaker. That's what I do. I can't get it out of me. Okay, I can't, I can't, I can't stop, won't stop. You know what I'm saying? If I see you and I ain't seen you in a while, I'm gonna hug you. I'm not gonna cough on you. And if I got, if I got the corona, I ain't gonna hug you. Okay, I'm smarter than that. But what I'm saying is, listen, I don't mind hugging you, but at the same time, I don't mind if you don't want to hug me back. Okay, do this number, do that number. Say I don't like you, preacher. You smell funny. Whatever you want to say is fine with me. Okay. What I'm saying is in these times, there's going to be some things that look different, but by and large, we're going to try and have church, okay? If you can't come, you don't want to come, whatever, let me know. We'll find a way for you to watch it at home. Don't worry. I'll come collect your tithing check. Don't you worry. <laughs> we even have online giving platforms. I'll send you a link where I ain't even got to drive to your house. Amen. Just kidding. I promise the Lord's concern with your money is minimal. He's more concerned with your obedience when it comes to that than he is with your money. But, so that being said, that's all I'm going to talk about about that. All right? But I felt like this was the best opportunity with a captivated Facebook audience and podcast and YouTube and then all of you here this morning. And I'm glad you came this morning. But I feel it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit through the study of these passages that nudged me to this place this week. My study of these passages is what I feel like got us to this place. And so I want to ask you as we open to think of a hypothetical situation with me. I've used this example before, but I think it's very applicable. We'll be talking about the color alert system. So we're all aware about the, the green level, blue, yellow, orange level, red level threat systems that have been in place with travel since 9-11 took place. And, and so I want to use that system as a way to think about our worry system in our minds. Picture with me here, you wake up in the middle of the night with a headache, you pop an Advil, the headache goes away, your worry level stays at green, right? You had a headache, you popped an Advil, it went away, worry level stays at green. But let's say that headache pops up every night for a week. And due to your concern and the worry from your wife, because she's seen you pop up every night for a week, you make a doctor's appointment and you go to that doctor and you tell that doctor, I've had a headache every night going on a week now and my wife will me come to the doctor and I'm not too worried about it, but 
you know, it has been there every night. And so the doctor says, let me do a test on you. We'll get you the results in three days. And your worry level suddenly climbs from green to blue while you await those test results. Three days later, you get a call that one of those tests that you took was abnormal. You need a further MRI. The scheduled date is three months from today. And suddenly your worry level climbs from blue to yellow, right? And for three months, you sit at threat level yellow because you had a headache every night for a week. You've had some since that time and you had an abnormal test. The doctor said probably nothing to worry about but we need to do some further testing and it's going to be three months until you can get it. So you sit for three months at threat level yellow trying to figure out why you've got these headaches. I pray you don't look at WebMD. (laughs) Finally the test comes. And you get a call from the doctor that says he needs you to get into the specialist at St. Thomas, but don't you worry. This is one of the foremost neuro doctors in the land, and suddenly your worry level goes from yellow to orange. Once you get to the specialist, and upon being prodded and poked, the New Testament, he says the results won't be back for a week, and all week you sit at threat level red. Can you see how that happens, church? Can you see how our worry can climb from a headache in the middle of the night to being convinced that there's some terminal brain cancer going on just through a matter of test when no doctor has even said that is the situation. They have just continued with the tests. God says some things about our worry levels and what we should do with our worry and fear. And you see when these situations arise in our lives and they will. I know that's an extreme case but there are people in our congregation who would testify to the fact that cancer happens that way. You go to the doctor being what you seem to be a minimal problem and you find out that there was a major terminal illness going on in your body. Many are here today having been healed and cured, right? But whatever your situation is that runs your worry level up to threat level red, can I tell you what the silent killer is that creeps in? It's not the debt. It's not the cancer. It's not the marital problems. It's not whatever else that you label as your worry or your situation, but instead it becomes a different character. It's named many things. Some call it stress. Some call it worry. Some call it anxiety. Some call it a situation. Some call it a, 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 a just a touch. Some people call it whatever you want to. This morning I will call it F. E-A-R, fear. I will call it what it is. It is fear that creeps into your life. All the stress and the worry and the anxiety, the thing that begins to get you even worse than whatever the medical condition is, is all of that that comes with it. And we have seen that firsthand in our country and really in the world in these last few weeks, few months as we have gone from very little concern. I can tell you when I first heard of a case of coronavirus over in China, it didn't bother me not one bit because I figured it was just some kind of new dish they were cooking at the restaurant. I didn't know what it was. But can I tell you that when it began to creep into the state of Tennessee, I began to study about what that thing was. Why? Because I began to educate myself. My level did go up just a little bit. Why? Because it's in my backyard. And that's how we operate, right? But can I just tell you that the fear that has driven things in our country and locally and and, and all around is what the major concern that I have is, is the way that people have become so motivated from a spirit of fear instead of a spirit of faith, even within our churches. So I will call it fear. In this passage, Jesus calls it worry. You call it whatever you want to, but Jesus has a few things to say about it in his Sermon on the Mount. 
And call me crazy, but when I'm looking at something and the master teacher has already taught about it, I figure he's the best one to refer to. Amen? I want to ask you, though, if you're able, please stand. In honor and reverence of the reading of the Word of God from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse... We're going to really... We're going to read verse 24 as well. But no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God in mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is it not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed as one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about his own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you humble as we know how, Father, eager as we can be to hear a word from you, Father God. And Father, we are fully aware that in this season, Father, in the midst of these anxieties, Father, that the gift from you that is our faith is all that we can stand on. Father, I pray that if there be any devil, any demon, Father, any spirit, any thought in this place that is not captivated by your Holy Spirit, Father God, would you remove it at this time? That for the next few minutes... We would focus on you and you alone and the worship of you and you alone because you and you alone are worthy, Father. We'll give you the glory for all you do. We'll give you the praise for who you are. And it's in your precious name that we pray, Jesus, as all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. We gather this morning, we look at this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. We see him begin to speak. He calls it worry. You can insert fear. You can insert anxiety. You can insert whatever you want to insert into there. But basically, it's the pressures that distract us that Jesus is talking about, the things that we begin to focus on. And the first thing I want to look at this morning about fear is that fear is a response of faithlessness. Don't mistake that for faithfulness. Fear is a response of faithlessness. It could be said that all faith is in fact fearless faith. Faith by its definition is fearless because fear and faith cannot coexist. Three times in tonight's text, Jesus says, do not worry. And for that reason, I say to you that when I have fear of the future or fear of the unknown or fear of what is coming, then I am in fact responding and committing the sin of faithlessness. The problem of fear is that it's a response to faithlessness and shows that we have a distrust in a holy God. 
In verse 30, we see Jesus identifies the problem with this statement. He says, O you of little faith, started, stated simply, when there is a challenge that has arisen in your life, you can choose one of two options. You can either have fear or you can have trust in God, but you can't have both. It's not possible. You can either have fear or you can have trust in God. You can have anxiety or you can have faith in a Savior. Let us look at some biblical truth that shows us what I mean about the spirit of distrust. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to make notes, you can. I'm going to, I'm going to take a little journey real quick. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. So fear did not come from God. It says God did not give us that spirit. He gave us a spirit of power and not of fear. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. So I want you to put this together with me. If perfect love casts out all fear, and love and fear cannot coexist together because perfect love does what? It casts it out, right? So it can't be together. Perfect love and fear can't be together. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. Now I want you to think with me. Perfect love casts out all fear. God is love. Then God cannot coexist with fear. Let me say it to this side. God cannot coexist with fear because perfect love casts out all fear. And God in his essence is perfect love. He is the perfect love. Therefore, God cannot coexist with fear. Let me break it down to you a little bit further. We're going to use some of them omni, famous, you know, those omni words that are used to describe God. God cannot be fearful because fear is caused by the unknown, right? What do we fear? We fear what we don't know. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I know what something is, it don't bother me. I'm reminded uh, of one time when I was living by myself. I had a house, and I was living by myself. And, and in my master bedroom, there was a door that went into my master bathroom. And there in my master bathroom, there was a window. Does anybody know that windows, lights, and trees can do funny things with your head? So I was laying in my bed one night, and I began to hear against my window. Immediately I thought, who's coming in my house? So I began to creep to the end of the bed where I could peek out that window and I began to see something began to do this number in my window. And I said, oh my goodness, there's really somebody coming in. I've trained for this. I went and got my gun. I got my gun. I snuck out my back door and I SWAT teamed my way around the back of my house. And as I got, and I don't even want to tell you what I was wearing, okay? I SWAT teamed my way around the back of my house. I looked around the corner anticipating that this was the time when I was going to lower the boom. And can I tell you when I got around the corner, I looked up and I was getting ready to lower the boom on an oak tree, son. The water, the, the wind was whipping through the grove of trees and it was waving that branch and that branch would fall down and when that branch fell down, it was hitting another branch that had fallen out and it was screeching against the window. It looked just like a hand trying to open a window through the shadow. I was fearful of the unknown, but when I got around and saw what it was, I wasn't afraid no more. Why? Because I knowed it was just a tree limb. See, we don't have a fear of the known. So, so fear is caused by the unknown. Can I tell you why God can't be fearful? Because there's nothing that's unknown to him. He is what we call omniscient. 
that means he knows everything. Omniscience, a fancy way of saying God knows everything. So if he knows everything, there's no unknown. He can't be troubled by the unknown. Can I tell you something else? God can not only not be troubled by the unknown of, uh, of today, he can't be troubled by the unknown of tomorrow because can I tell you something else? Omni about God. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere and always. He's above the constricts of time. So God can't fear the unknown because he knows everything. He can't fear what's coming because he's already been there. He can't fear what's happened because he was there when it happened. It didn't catch him by surprise. Can I just tell you that he can't be troubled by fear because not only does he know what's coming, he's already there. He already knows it because he knows everything in the first place. But he's also what we call omnipotent. That means that he's there's nothing that's going to happen that he can't handle. He is all powerful. He knows it all. He's everywhere and he's all power. And can I tell you something else about my God? He's not omni omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. He is also omnibenevolent. And that means that my God is not only all powerful, all present and all knowing, but he's all loving. And that means he's working everything together for the good of those who love him. Now, every parent here will understand this example that I'm about to say. If something happens to one of my kids that is hurtful, it will happen because you went through me first. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And you'd just soon try to skin a raccoon in a phone booth as walk through mama. <laughs> Don't you think the Heavenly Father so cares for His children? That ain't nothing going to happen to you unless it filters through him first. And guess what? They ain't nothing put him down, not even death. Ain't nothing put him down. Ain't nothing caught him by surprise. Worry is distrust in God. But it's also a peril of distraction in our lives. Look with me at verse 25. We see a list of worries that begin. It's food. It's uh, clothing. He says, really, what God is saying is don't lose your thoughts. Don't lose your concentration. Don't be taken by the spirit of anxiety. Don't be captivated by things that are outside of your control that really don't matter anyway. Being distracted can take us away from what we're supposed to be and pull us off of an ability to even function in the way that we've been made. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about justifiable concerns here, all right? I'm not telling you that when there's something real going on that you say, ah, listen, I'm not going to do nothing about it. We'll just see what happens. Listen, if your wife calls and says the car is on fire, that's a legitimate concern. If you find out you have a legitimate health condition, you need to go to the doctor. God gave that doctor wisdom and, and education and ability, and he's given us the ability to develop these things. You ought to do these things. Parents on the brink of divorce. Children, that's a legitimate concern in your life. Parent, that's a legitimate concern in your life. We ought to take those things to the throne of God. But can I tell you the difference this morning between a legitimate concern and a sinful worry? I'm going to help some of you this morning. If it's right in front of you, you can see it, you can touch it, and your thoughts on it, can change the outcome in some way, think about it. But if you've done everything that you can do and the situation is out of your control and what's going to happen is going to happen, stop thinking about it because you've begun to sinfully worry. 
In other words, ask yourself this question. Can what I'm doing now change what's coming down the pike? If the answer is no, put it in the hands of the Lord and leave it alone. By that, the Lord has given us enough sense to understand that when we walk by a hand sanitizer station, we ought to sanitize our hands to prevent the spread of germs, right? But if you walk by that hand sanitizer station and you prevent the spread of germs by doing that and somehow or another you've washed your hands, you've done everything you can do and you get infected with the flu or the COVID-19 or, or, or whatever it may be, it happens and you've done everything you could do, there was nothing else you could do about it, so why would you sit and worry about when it may or may not happen? We're going to talk about what God says about that. We have to make sure that we're trusting in the Lord to take care of the things that are outside of our control and that we're using the good sense that our Lord gave us to follow in the things that are inside of our control. I've heard it said that in this life we have many problems and some of them actually occur. Anybody ever lived that way? You find out that two weeks later, two weeks of worrying about something and it never happened in the first place. I do that with conversations all the time. I'll have you know, church, I love all of you dearly, but by the time I call you, I've had that conversation with you eight times in my head. And I've determined every possible way I think you may react. And usually when I call you, it doesn't end up in any of the ways that I thought it was going to. The conversations that I thought were going to be so tough and so difficult, when I pick up the phone, I find out that they're not really that big a deal anywhere besides my head. That's my point. That's a spirit of faithlessness when I do that. And I apologize to you for it. I'm praying that the Lord will heal me. But another problem with faithlessness is it's a picture of defeat. Think back to verse 24. That's the reason I read it. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or serve the world. But it cannot be both ways. You cannot serve God and serve the world at the same time. He says, therefore, don't worry. Right, he leads into it with that statement. So what he means here is do you love God or do you love the world? Because if you love your God, then don't waste your time worrying about the things of the world. If you love God, stop wasting your time on worrying and start getting busy doing what God has called you to do in the first place. These things are written as to someone who says, I love God. And he says, I want you to consider how it relates to you. And when others look at you, how you relate to it. Church, I am telling you this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, in this season, in this midst of the anxieties, not just of this virus, but of this tornado situation, of everything that's going on, of the political climate, of everything that's going on in our world today, the world is watching how Christians react. And the word of God says that one of the marks of a believer is that we will not be captivated by a spirit of fear and anxiety. It means that when I lose my job, yes, I try to find a new job. I, I try to discover how I'm going to take care of my family. But I don't wring my hands as if the Lord is not going to provide. I say I trust that God is going to provide. It means that when the virus comes and it will come. Listen, no confirmed cases in Wilson County. It's on its way. It's already here. We just ain't confirmed them yet. All right? It's here. Let's not wring our hands going, what if it happens? It's going to happen. Let's instead stand with faith and say, I am going to serve the Lord right through the middle of it. 
I'm going to praise my God right in the storm. I'm going to carry on no matter what happens because you cannot shut me up because the one that empowers me has power over you in the first place. Amen? Church, it's time that we stand up and recognize that people are watching and the Word of God says that the people of God will respond differently than the world. Reminded of a story I once heard of a pastor. He was in a state of discouragement. His wife came into his office and he was just, I mean, hands down and listen. God love my wife. She's seen me in seasons that you guys would make fun of me for. And the pastor's in his office and he's got his head down in his hands and he's just shaking his head and everything's bad, everything's wrong. He's been complaining for weeks. And she walks in in a, in a jet black dress with a veil over her head and she says, well, come on, it's time for the funeral. He says, well... Well, who in the world has died? And she said, well, God, I guess, by the way you're acting. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God's not dead. Amen? And we ought to act like it. Church, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. We have a heavenly Father above with eyes of mercy and a heart of love. And he really cares when your head is bowed low. So consider the lilies and then you will know. Fear, fear is a response of faithlessness. But my friends, fear is also a result of fruitlessness. Fear also results in fruitlessness. Living in fear is like walking on a treadmill. It gives you something to do, but you don't go nowhere. Some of you catch on. Some of you have never seen a treadmill, have you? Some of you thinking, you ain't seen one neither, big boy. Because I don't get on it don't mean I don't know how it works. You know what I'm saying? Look at verse 27 with me. Fear will not extend your days. It will not an hour to your day. Some translations such as the New King James say it will not add a cubit to your stature. The principle is the same here. Worry cannot add an inch to your height. It cannot add a second to your life. It cannot do anything to add to you. Fear cannot increase who you are, what you have, or what's going on in your life. In fact, I would believe it would have the other effect. Basically, you could say this in these words. Worrisome fear accomplishes nothing. I've been convicted of a spirit of fear that I have developed inadvertently in my children. And all of you parents, if you're honest, you will admit that under the pretense of good parenting, we've all developed a spirit of fear into our children. I remember when Kaysen was a child, I had been deer hunting. There was a rifle shell in my truck. And he reached over, not a gun, okay, not a, let me... Not a loaded gun sitting in a rifle shell, okay? Now, my son, being a child, reached over and he, he hit it. It went into the floor. And I remember I was on my mother's driveway going up. I slammed on the brakes. I said, oh, son, don't touch that. you got to be careful. Son, that gets in the floorboard. It could get in the rail of the power seat, and I could run my seat up, and the pressure could hit the center of the cartridge, and somehow it could go off and kill somebody. Are you serious? I said that to my son. 
You could kill somebody because you knocked that. Not a gun, not a loaded gun off a safety sign. It wasn't ready to fire. It was nothing like it was a bullet. And the power seat was going to sh- How many times have you seen on the news, tragic accident, man kills neighbor with power seat? <laughs> Some of you laugh. You think, boy, preacher's crazy. When's the last time you read in the newspaper about the toddler that got killed running with the scissors? When's the last time you went to the funeral home to console the family and said, oh... If you'd only made them wait 30 minutes after they ate before they swam, they'd have made it. Don't tell me you don't got the same silliness going on in your world. I am not advocating careless living. But I'm saying if we aren't careful, we will live in a state of constant fear and it will not accomplish a single stinking thing. Not only will it not do anything for you positive, not only will it not go anywhere, it's not going to end your difficulties either. In fact, he says towards the end of this text, he says, what about tomorrow? He says, tomorrow's going to have its own problems, right? Tomorrow's going to have its own, don't take stuff with you from the day to tomorrow that don't need to be there because tomorrow is going to have its own problems when it gets here anyway. Right, there's already something. You didn't realize that? If you got your life, and I don't know how you could get there, but if you got to the end of the day and you'd solved every problem in your life, when you woke up in the morning, you know what you'd still have? Problems. Why? Because you're human and you got a sinful nature and you're going to bring a bunch of them all on yourself, okay? I'm not saying don't think about situations. I have plenty of things in my life where I can honestly say that thinking on a situation found an end to a situation. But can I tell you, I've also had a whole lot of situations where I worried about it till I couldn't do nothing about it and didn't nothing change in the first place. So we see that worry is a response in faithlessness. We see that it results in fruitlessness. But finally, it's a revelation of our forgetfulness. Seven different times here, Jesus is asking this question. Have you forgotten or don't you know? I believe there are three things that we would do well not to forget. And the first is that we should always remember what God has already done. Show of hands here this morning. How many of you have come to a place in your life where you weren't sure you were going to make it? You've been somewhere where you weren't sure you were going to make it. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. The fact that you're all here tells me you made it, right? Tells me that you've made it, which tells me that God has already done something for you that you weren't sure he was able to do in the first place, amen? God has over and over and over and over abundantly provided for me beyond my wildest dreams. This isn't the first crisis that you've ever faced. This isn't the first situation you've ever dealt with. And the fact that you are here tells you that you should remember what God has done. In the Old Testament, Moses talks to the Israelites about their future possessions. And before they take them, he says, I want you to remember the past and how God has cared for you over and over and over and over and over again. For the child of God, when we face our crises, sometimes... We need to just put our bootstraps on and move forward. But can I tell you that sometimes we just need to sit down and think back. Sometimes we need to sit down and think back and be reminded not just that God is in control, but that he's always been 
in control. You know one of the greatest ways that we can know that God is always going to do what he says he's going to do is that God's always done what he said he was going to do. All the way back to the inception of time, God has always done what he said he was going to do perfectly. No prophecy of God has been left unfulfilled. We see here that we should not only remember what God has done, we should remember what God is doing. We see three witnesses to the testimony that God is providing for his people. The first is the bird of the air. He says, look at them. They don't get complacent and useless, but they're not starving to death, right? They're not starving to death because God is feeding them. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have seen a dead bird on the side of the road and said, poor guy starved to death? Never happened, has it? You know better, don't you? Bird's not going to starve to death. God has provided for him, right? He doesn't go about... Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever seen the great Kroger in the sky for the sparrows? <laughs> not there, is it? Why? Because the Heavenly Father has provided them overly and abundantly over and over again. Even given them enough good sense to know that when the food supply is becoming scarce in one area, they migrate to a new area, right? Can I ask you this? If God will feed the birds, will he not feed you as well? I don't know how many of you remember the Genesis creation account. But when he got done with mankind, he said it was very good. It was the only thing that he said he created in his image. And it was the thing that he created in his image that he gave dominion over everything else. So if he's going to take care of one of those little created buzzing birds that fly around the sky, do you not think he's going to take care of the thing that he created in his own image that he thought was very good and that he placed here to have dominion over it in the first place? What sense does that make? But then God says, consider the lilies and the fact that they don't weave a fabric, they don't spin a pattern, they don't make a shirt, but yet they are the most beautifully adorned flower in the field. He says, Learn from the field of grass. In, in this region, these people would understand it well because what would happen is those, those warm winds would come in and they would literally scorch the grass by day. And then the sun would go down and the grass would sprout back up and the dew would fall and it would come back up by night. And so literally as the day went on, you could look at the field of grass and see that it was alive this minute and literally it was gone the next. And the father says if he's clothing these fields with these lilies and all of these things, if he's making these things to happen, will he not also care for you? Now I want to ask you this, church. And I want you to get real honest with yourself. You ain't got to get honest with me. That's okay. But I want you to get real honest with yourself and I want you to ask yourself this question. All the things that I'm worrying about, have I considered the lilies? Have I considered the fact that at the very nature of who God is, he has put this creation into order and he has set everything to where he has put away for it to be taken care of. He has never left nor forsaken it. He has never put it out of order. Nothing's ever happened that caught him by surprise. My God is bigger than any virus. He's bigger than any concern. He's bigger than any marriage problem. He's bigger than any sickness. He's bigger than any death. He's bigger than anything that I face. My God is sovereign and in control. It didn't catch him by surprise. Didn't throw him off guard. Can I tell you something? When man decided to eat of the fruit and, and, and gain from the tree of knowledge and finally realized he didn't have no britches on, it didn't catch God by surprise. God 
God knowed it was coming and from the beginning of time he said when man fails I'll send my son to redeem him. Nothing caught him by surprise. You know what else don't catch him by surprise? COVID-19, SARS, MERS, MRSA, swine flu, pig flu, malaria, cancer, AIDS, HIV, none of it caught God by surprise. In fact, the Word of God says that everything that has happened, He's working out together for the good of those who love Him. That means in my pea brain, when I don't understand what God is doing, i got to have faith that God is doing it for my good. That's the difference between a believer and a non-believer. A non-believer says, why, 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 why is this happening to me? And a believer stands and says, I don't know why, God, but thank you that it's happening to me. That's a hard place to get. But how do you get there? You consider the sparrows. You consider the lilies. And you consider not only what God has done, you consider not only what God will do, what God is doing, but you consider what God will do. Look at verse 33 with me. This is how we know that the believer's okay. God says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God didn't say, For the believer, I'm going to take away all your fear and your worry and anxiety on this earth. No. God said for the believer, I'm going to give you a promise that one day all the fears and anxieties of this earth will pass away and all that will be left is praise and worship of a Jesus who deserves it. Can I just tell you something, church? I never one time in this sermon today said the COVID-19 wasn't serious and it wasn't coming. And you know what? When this one's gone, there'll be another. I never said cancer wasn't real. My mama had it. Praise God she's here. But I could stand on faith that if she wasn't, she'd be with her Savior. Grandmother had it. She's not here. But I know what she's doing. And as a believer, I can take faith. You know what I can take faith in? If this one don't get me, one of them will. But when it does, I'm going to seek me first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all of those things will be added to me. And I would rather have the kingdom of God and all his righteousness than all the riches of this world. It's been said the retirement plan for the believer is pretty solid. I would tend to agree. I didn't come in here this morning and tell you Hey, just stop worrying. It's that easy. I told you to consider that your heavenly father had it under control and trust him. Trust that he has it under control. In 1893, a Baptist preacher named Elijah Hoffman visited an aged church member on her deathbed. And as he visited her, he tried to find words of consolation. And he came up with this. He said, you just take your sorrows to the feet of Jesus. And the woman got a real distant look in her eye and the pastor was afraid that he had given her some superficial, shallow, stupid advice. But then she turned to him and she said, that's it, preacher. 
I must tell Jesus. Mr. Hoffman returned home. And though he tried as he might, he could not rest that evening. For these words stayed in his head. And he got his pen out and he began to write these words. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear my burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me for he ever loves, cares for his own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. My friends, if you have worries and fears and anxieties, you come tell Jesus this morning. Jesus can help you. But Jesus alone. I want to ask you this morning as you bow your heads. We'll have this hymn of invitation. It's open. The response to the word of God is open. Maybe you heard it this morning. You say, I've never trusted God as my Lord and Savior. I've never put my faith in him. I've never trusted him for my salvation from my sins I want to know what that means brother Jason come down and let's talk about what it means to be a child of God you've never cast your cares upon him because you've never trusted him with your worst problem and that's your problem of sin maybe you're here and you're a believer and you've been living in a captivated state of fear a captivated place of anxiety I want you to come this morning and I want you to tell Jesus all your problems I want you to try your best to name a problem that Jesus can't handle. You'll never get there. But I want you to come and do that this morning. And there's a third group I want to ask for this morning. This has been coined as a national day of prayer. And I want to ask that at Rocky Valley Baptist Church, if you're willing, if you're able... I want you to come make your, you can spread out across this altar. You can spread out across the front of the church. But I want you to come and I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the leadership of the churches in our community. I want you to pray for the leadership of our country. I want you to pray for the health of our country. I want you to pray for the recovery from these natural disasters. I want you to pray that our holy God would be glorified in all of this. Because according to my copy of God's word, it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves to pray, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. So I want to ask you if you're able and willing this morning during the invitation time, I want you to come and I want you to pray as we pray in unison for this country. And Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for this day, Father. We praise you, God. We lift you up. We recognize that you are sovereign and you are in control. And we trust you, God. We trust you fully with everything. God, help us to respond faithfully that we might be a living testimony to how good you are. God, we love you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.